Welcome once again to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, our virtual church classroom meeting on this podcast to all your devices everywhere out in the internet world. It is a pleasure to be with you on behalf of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Dan Sinkhorn, the man privileged to be the pastor of that wonderful church, and I bring you this podcast with my daughter Bethany each week to study the Word of God with you with the goal of knowing God's heart and mind with all of our hearts and minds. It is our hope that this virtual church classroom study is not the only thing you do in order to grow with the Lord. We do hope you are part of a church fellowship somewhere. We urge you, in fact, to be part of a church. I know it's not always easy to find the best church in the world for you, but if you keep trying, keep praying, you will be directed by the Spirit to the place where God wants you to be. The church is better because you're there, and you are better because you are part of the family of God. Even God doesn't like to be alone. Read that in your Bible, and you will see. But for now, we hope that you are blessed by this week's study from Revelation. This is episode 8, recorded on May the 11th in 2018, and it is uh, appropriate that we should begin with worship and prayer. So as always, we start by loving God and each other and celebrating our love for God as we praise him in song. So what are you praying about this week? I hope that uh, all is well in your world. I hope that your perspective on your life and your world is different because of your love for the Lord and your knowledge of his word. That makes all the difference in our prayer, doesn't it? So as you pray this week, remember that God is in complete control of everything and nothing about your life is a mystery or surprise to God. And therefore, even if you're having a particularly difficult time, God is with you and God would remind you that all of it is temporary. We are here for a little while. If we are extraordinarily blessed, then we gotta remember that it's temporary. If we're suffering, we have to remember it's temporary. So with that in mind, let us turn to this week's psalm reading, Psalm number nine. Psalm nine is for the director of music to the tune of the death of the son, a psalm of David, Psalm nine. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and, and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established this throne for judgment, his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness. He judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. 
He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of, the da of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. Uh, they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God will God, but will God never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with, with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. And I will declare all of your marvelous wonder. on us as we come together to seek you to know your will and your way pray we pray Lord that you would hear our calls for mercy and grace in our times of difficulty that you would hear our songs of praise as we rejoice in you always even from the depths of despair we know that you inhabit our praise and so we praise you even when it's so hard to do Oh God, hear us as we pray for one another, as we pray for those who mourn, as we pray for those who heal, as we pray for those who are lonely, whose spirits are broken, whose hearts are weary, as we pray for those whose lives are ordinary and therefore have all the same ups and downs we all suffer. So let us join with each other in our song of praise and in our heartfelt search for your heart and mind. Oh God, we praise you and we bless you. And we ask that you open our hearts and minds to you today. Amen. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. time again you have delivered your people from their enemies time and time again you've made the vain look foolish you have destroyed the wicked you have erased their names from the pages of history you've left the glory and their cities, no one remembers 
Well, here we are once again, and we are in episode uh, eight, episode eight, and that means we are studying, believe it or not, we've made it to Revelation chapter three, and we've got another letter to another church to read, and you probably heard my beautiful daughter Bethany huffing and chuffling in the background. <laughs> yep, there she is, happy and gay here. as always, gay like it used to mean, just cheerful and pleasant you know <laughs> but anyway uh that's probably a controversial stupid thing to open with dan but you know i can remember when we were little kids when i was a little kid in grade school back in the early 70s we sang a song about the kookaburra whose life was gay his life must be because he sits in the old gum tree he sits in the old gum tree and he just laughs and laughs and laughs and his life is happy and gay Used to be you could say it that way, and it was a good thing. So anyway, enough said. Just having fun with words, folks. Not a commentary on anything else. It's, it's just fun with words. You know, it's sort of my Sheldon Leonard moment. You know, he has fun with flags. I have fun with words, right? You know, uh, <laughs> this is the danger of speaking extemporaneously. There's a word, extemporaneous. It's one of your favorite words. Off the top of your head, which is a big word for dangerously out of control speech. <laughs> Extemporaneous. Okay, enough of that nonsense. So we're ready to look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, and it is Jesus' letter to the church at Sardis. And uh, before we read it, I'm sure Bethany has uncovered some fascinating background information. So, Bethany, what do you got? Well, I did go do some digging today, and honestly, I've got interesting things about Sardis, but I don't think it's that interesting compared to some of the last ones, which I think is really funny since this church kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're sorry. supposed to say things like that in a Bible study podcast, but it's 2018, sorry. so I guess we're okay. I mean, Jesus basically says it we'll get to that all right let's go anyway <laughs> so what i found out is that it was a capital it was the capital city of lydia which was like when you hear people talk about lydia they're not talking about lydia that we talked about last week they're oh, talking lydia, about lydia, oh, the, lydia. The, oh have you yes that lydia? <laughs> lydia the tattooed lady okay go on they're, they're talking about lydia as in the persian empire right so Sardis was the capital of Lydia for quite some time. It was very strategic. It was a military stronghold. It, um, it was in the Hermas Valley. So it was flanked by the Hermas River, which is like the second biggest river in the country. Yes, um, I have it in my notes that it was situated on the northern slope of Mount Demolis. I was about to say that. 950 yeah. feet above that valley, even. Yeah. So, Sorry. no, it's okay. The citadel was on was on the mount. And then they had command of all of this awesome, awesome land in the Hermas Valley. Because, you know, it's a, a river valley. So there was awesome, fertile land there. So they were really, they did pretty well in terms of trade and agriculture. 
They were also situated on a main highway leading to the coast because, again, we're inland. They're about 45 miles from Smyrna. Um, and they kind of had it made because this this highway that they were on went directly to the coast. So they'd send all these goods to the coast to be sent to Greece and all these different places. And they did all right. Um, so it was pretty prosperous. Um yeah, I, and, I read they were so rich that when a severe earthquake struck in 17 AD, yeah, unlike a lot of the other cities in the region, they paid for their own repairs. Yeah, and like they, completely rebuilt and quickly. Yeah, and all with their own money. They didn't have to get Rome involved. Mm-hmm. And that may be part of what Jesus has against them is that they're kind of proud. Well, and here's something else that I think is interesting because I tend, I'm not like against money because money's great. I earn money and I go and spend money for things that I need and want. But adding to that, I kind of feel like this is something Jesus had against them. Sardis is credited like worldwide. Sardis is credited with the invention of modern currency hmm. because I didn't know that. this, yeah. So this Mount Tumulus or however you say that, had, had some kind of gold in it. Um, and the gold would run down into the valley through the streams and such. And they, the metallurgist in Sardis managed to figure out how to refine gold and silver in a way that hadn't been done before. So before this time, gold and silver coins existed but they weren't very pure they were made up of lots of different stuff so like in terms of their value they didn't have the same value as they might now so it sounds like they kind of had one of one of the first mints right exactly they uh, yeah they refined gold and silver to the point where it like it reached a whole new purity standard and it sounds like like super pure i don't know a lot about minting or any of that stuff but it was quite refined for the time. And so they've been credited as inventing modern currency, hmm. um, which I think kind of goes with the whole, they were so rich, they paid for their own stuff and they were kind of proud people, I think. Well, and two, two things that I read um, that I'm, you may have too, but um, they apparently had bred and raised a very unusual kind of sheep that had hmm. black wool. Oh. And it was a peculiarly soft wool. Hmm. And it was renowned. Their wool, this black wool of theirs, was renowned in the world of that day. Um, and they also had perfected some sort of medication that was unique hmm. to their to their uh, uh, city and state. And uh, that people would come from all around to get the treatment on this particular medication as well. So they seem like a pretty, you know, they seem like kind of the Carmel, Indiana. Well, you know, I mean, seriously. Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not knocking Carmel, but, you know, Carmel is the probably the most prosperous or whatever you want to call it, upscale city in Indiana. And it's been rated one of the best places to live in America for years and mm-hmm. almost sounds like Sardis is like that. Yeah. Maybe Jasper, you know, I don't know. But uh, that's yeah. very interesting. You got anything so, else? 
Um, I just have, so you mentioned the earthquake. I had, I had that down. Um, so it was, it was another center for the dye industry, which again, just adds to the whole prosperity and trade thing. Hmm. Um, present day Sardis is actually not Sardis. It's a village called Sart, which I just thought was really interesting because the sources I was reading all said village. Hmm. Because when you like, like you just said, they were super prosperous, and now this city is not even a city; it's a village. Which to me is like, you know, they don't even. <laughs> a village to me is a few houses. Yeah. And you probably have to travel somewhere else to get anything you need. Um, so I think that's interesting. There, are, there are some super cool archaeological remains there. I looked at a bunch of pictures this afternoon about that. Um. There's a really cool intact gymnasium in Sardis. And for those who don't know, when you hear gymnasium, don't think like basketball hoops and stuff. <laughs> um, gymnasium, when we're talking about like the Romans and the Greeks and the Byzantians and such, um, is like a bathhouse. It yeah, was a place I was where say, walk. isn't it where yeah. a bunch of naked men go around, you know? Right. Like they, it was a gym and like they probably did. and bathing. Yeah. But they definitely were naked there, guys. Um, like all of them. And they, like, yeah. So it was a bathhouse, but yeah, they probably were exercising. But yeah, everybody was naked because that's how they rolled back in the day. Uh, you know, probably Venice Beach, I guess, would be the closest thing we have <laughs> now. I don't even know if that's very close, though. Well, you know, it's sort of the reputation it has. But <laughs> Fun fact that maybe people didn't know when the Olympics first came into existence, like, originally not like when they the modern olympics started when the actual olympics started they were all done naked guys it was a totally different ball game well you know literally if you, if you watch certain current day olympic events they're not far from naked anymore either well so. that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> all right you ready to read that letter yeah yeah i think it's your turn to read dear okay Oh, there's a really cool synagogue there, too. I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that before we started recording. Maybe you can come back to that in a minute. I'll come back to That's that. pretty that's interesting. It is. Okay. Reading to Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the church, the spirit says to the churches. Okay. So once again, it opens with this same pattern. Jesus gives a particular description of himself. He says, this is him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And then he proceeds to tell them he knows their deeds, except he skips over the part where he says, and this is what makes me proud of you. And uh -huh. goes, he goes right to the part, you're dead. 
you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as we've said from the very beginning, these are stories or, or letters to churches that are both historical and ever present throughout the ages. And I have to be quite flank, uh, frank here. I, I don't think that I experience this in my current situation to the extent that I have in the past, but I must say that in every church, it's remarkable how many people sit in the pews every Sunday and they're spiritually dead. They're wonderful, delightful people. They're there for a social event. They're there yeah. to affirm a belief that they have, but not necessarily an, a, re, a relationship. They, they are there to affirm their belief in God and their hope that they go to heaven when they die, but they're not particularly there to celebrate our corporate relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't mean to be harsh, but this is what I believe Jesus is saying here to Sardis is, man, you guys are affluent. You're, you're in a prosperous way. You've guys, uh, you build beautiful churches. You make the best music that anybody ever had in their church. You, you donate generously to the church. You've got the most well-paid staff in the region at your church. You've got the best preachers, best youth ministers. You guys have it all. And among you are some real, genuine saints. But for the most part, you look vital and alive, but you're dead. That's what I hear him saying. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, this is a case where given that background on the city really gives you an understanding. You know, that's, yeah. that, that doesn't mean we're universally condemning every prosperous city and every church and every prosperous city. But when Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel through the eye of the needle, that's what he's talking about. People who have made themselves successful are y'all often pretty convinced that they are the creators of their prosperity and they are confident in their ability and they like to be around other people like that and and it all feels right and normal but then there's a sort of lack of dependency upon god and a lack of humility before god and yes that's the danger yeah I, I feel like a lot of, I mean, I'm skipping ahead, I guess, but I feel like a lot of people, I mean, you said it last week, I think they, they pointed the layout of a church Yes. when they're, when they're condemning people. But to me, when I read this one, I feel way more condemned by this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is in effect, comfortable Christianity. Right. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. This and, is, yeah. And Jesus is saying, you look comfortable. But so do dead people laying in coffins, you know, right. <laughs> they look quite comfortable, too. You know, or at least, they do. They at least the mortician useful. has done a really good job of making them look comfortable, you know. Yeah. And, and yet they're dead. And uh, that's when he says to them. So, you know, wake up and, and remember where, you, you know, how this all started. Remember what you started out to do. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of churches, and I can think of one I'm dearly in love with in particular, that that started out well and then got sidetracked because of their own success. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, come back. Come back mm -hmm. to what you did when it was all working. You know, come back to the heart and soul of things. And 
if you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief, and you're not even going to know that I came and went. And that's that's a powerful warning. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then, of course, he says in verse 4, but there are people there who get it. And that's true in every church. It can be the most messed up church in the world, but there are always a few people that get it. And you wonder why they hold on, but thank God they do, because if you're... You know, if you're among them, then you just thank God you have somebody to cling to, huh? And we've known yeah. them through the years, haven't we? Yes, we have. I got it. I got. I got to laugh at that line though. Like, I just love it so much. Verse four. Yeah. A few people love are artists who have not soiled their clothes. I just, I love it so much. It's Jesus being so direct and funny. And I mean, maybe he's not trying to be funny, but to me, Jesus is a funny guy. Yeah. And, and I just, that, that line just absolutely tickles me. Well, so one of my favorite commentaries likes to say that the Holy Spirit likes to use euphemisms in the Bible. Uh, and, and he points them out all the time. He says this, this is a this is sort of a tongue-in-cheek remark that makes perfect sense if you understand it contextually. For mm -hmm. example, in when we get to Laodicea, um, this particular commentator likes to point out that that whole lukewarm thing doesn't mean what we think it means. It has everything to do with uh, the local watershed and their place along the lines, and mm. it it's actually. Jesus sort of making a joke about their being like their water, <laughs> just lukewarm, you know, he, and, and, the, yeah. and that lukewarm water, it, it neither stimulates your palate, nor does it quench your thirst. It does nothing for you. It, you know, warm water tastes better than lukewarm water and cold water tastes better than lukewarm water. But lukewarm water just passes your palate and your tongue without doing anything. It just, you know, it's irrelevant, <laughs> you know. Um, it's kind of an interesting concept, but we're getting two churches ahead here. <laughs> but but I think it's interesting because it's it's the same garment thing here is, is a euphemism, you know, that... Uh, there are a few people yeah. whose garments are still white. They will yeah. walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, I, I, it's, you know, as we've been reading these letters, I keep coming back to something Jesus said, and, and it meant so much more to us after having been to the Holy Land, that when he was on the teaching steps at the temple, mm -hmm. and he said, you people are like the whitewashed tombs, and he probably gestured across the Kidron Valley mm -hmm. to all those tombs that are, you know, because because those tombs are all over Mount, uh, the Mount of Olives, and they have been uh, from the time of Jesus and beyond. I mean, you know, that's that's been that way for for thousands of years. And and what are they but a whole lot of empty boxes um, that are bleached white by the sun, but there's nothing in there but the dead remains of, of people who are long gone. And, and some of those remains are so old that they've turned to dust, you know. And, and I just think about that as I'm reading these letters because it's, it's whitewashed tombs. They look really good on the outside. They might even have profound statements glorifying the memory of the person within, but within is just bones and dust. Mm -hmm. You know, 
And yeah. uh, it's, it's, uh, Jesus does know how to get right to the point. So I don't well, know. We, we probably don't have to spend as long on this letter because it's short because he doesn't have anything good to say. Because he's just like, this is the way it is. Yeah. I have to say that the teaching steps in Jerusalem were one of the, like, they're nothing fancy when you're there. I mean, they're cool, but, but it was definitely one of the places where as a 14 year old, I could sit there and see him. Yeah. yeah. I just, I love the teaching steps. That was one of my favorite places, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So plug for going to Israel, guys. Well, I've had several people ask me when I'm going to organize another trip to the Holy Land, and I, I'm feeling like I should probably do it pretty soon. And, and uh, I'm going to get a few more weeks of tedium behind me, and then I can start <laughs> doing some long-range planning. But, uh, well, let's see here. So verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge the name before my father and the angels. Well, so, so basically, there is a sort of veiled threat there. I mean, not so veiled, but, but it doesn't, I think that there's something really important. I was listening to a, uh, a, another speaker today talking about this particular letter in order to prepare. And one of the things I gathered was that um, the, uh, uh, the fact that Jesus, it's not like Jesus ever turns anybody away. I mean, like if you go to him and repent, you know, he, you're with him and you're in but what he's really describing here is people who talk a good game but they never actually you know pull the trigger or or right. you know there's this whole failure to launch thing you know they they <laughs> they go to church every week they 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 say they're you know i mean it's like it's like the those men on the street things where they go out and talk to people and they say well do you believe in god yeah i believe in god and if you ask people in the street, you know, well, what's your religion? If they say anything, they'll probably say, oh, I, I'm Christian, I guess. But, you know, so a lot of people, um, I mean, I hear this from, from a particular Jewish rabbi that I like to listen to, uh, that, that he believes that 90% of the Jews in America are probably, you know, Jews in an in a ethnic sense. If that, and, and he argues that there's really no such thing as ethnicity you know, ethnically Jews are, you know, there's no such thing as an ethnic Jew except for the person who was born in the last 50 to 70 years in Israel, you know. Uh, but but his whole argument is there's lots of people that claim to be Jewish because their family is Jewish, because there's a Jewish history in their family, but they have no belief. They would even claim that they're Jewish atheists. Yeah. Which is ironic because it'd be like a Christian saying, I'm a Christian atheist. Well, you can't be, <laughs> you know, unless you're trying to say that because you were born in America and you had, you know, white European ancestry, that makes you ethnically Christian. So it's a bizarre claim, you know, to, to claim a religion as an ethnicity. And yet Jews have been doing it in this country for decades and put a lot of popular entertainers and I don't have anything against them. I'm just saying it's kind of remarkable that people would do that. But it's also then easy to imagine Jesus saying, you know, there are a lot of people claiming to be Christians and they've claimed membership in the local Christian church and I won't know them. Mm -hmm. I won't know them, but I will know some 
and this they'll is, yeah yeah that's what i hear him saying this room this is here's what i'm thinking of this is my um pop culture reference for this um i love christmas you know that well sure i really love the movie elf yeah and there's a really great scene at the end of elf where they're all singing you know yeah they're at the end they're singing uh, santa claus is coming to town yep and the dad buddy's dad buddy the elf if you haven't seen buddy the elf you should probably go watch elf um but buddy's dad is just mouthing the words right and they they like they see that and they're like yep, you're mouthing like you're not actually singing and it's not till he actually starts singing that santa slay is able to get off the ground because he's faking it Hmm. And that's what I'm picturing is yeah. like people who just mouth the words. Yeah. I mean, they're, just, they're standing there pretending that they're doing it. That's true. And, and, so. and yet, I, I mean, I think there are definitely people like that, but I think the vast majority of the, I call them, you know, dead worshipers and, and, and gosh, folks, if you're thinking about somebody, I didn't put the thought in your mind. I'm not naming anybody. I'm not asking you to think of that person that sits in the pew by you or whatever. Really, all I'm saying is, in general, every time people gather in a church to worship, people are there for a variety of reasons, and among them are those who come for social reasons or out of habit or, you know, because their parents' uh, admonitions are still echoing in their heads after all these years or whatever. And, and I don't think that makes them bad or, or, or deliberately, you know, uh, disbelieving or anything. But what it means is, is that they're asleep. And that's why Jesus says, wake up in verse mm-hmm. two. He's saying, wake up. You're, you're going through the motions. You're sleepwalking, you know. You guys have got it all going for you, but you're sleepwalking. You're not really here. You're not really with me. Right. You know, and and one of these days I'm going to come like a thief and I'm going to steal away the ones who are mine and you're going to miss it because you're going to be asleep. You know, it's uh, I you know, I think you're right. I think this letter to Sardis is way more um uh, uh you know, condemning convicting is probably a better word, you know, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the, as a preacher, we like it when our sermons convict people, you know, really stir their souls and cause them to think. So, but you know, honestly, that's all there is. That's this letter is just, right. it's just not that long. Um, right. Like, I think we're going to have the same problem with Laodicea because it's just, it just is. <laughs> And to be honest with you, my allergies are making it hard for me to talk. So <laughs> I'm thanking God for a kind of a short one this week. And uh, yeah, uh, but uh, you have anything else you want to add to this? Well, well, I do think that it's awesome. I, again, going back to the fact that this is just an awesomely written book because it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think I really love that he continues the metaphor with the whole blotting out thing because he's already started talking about how they're going to be clothed in white yeah, and that their clothes aren't soiled. And then he says, I'm not going to blot their names out. And what is a blot if not a soil on a piece of paper? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I just, I think, I, I just love you think ink the literary blot, piece. You know, a, a, an ink stain on a white garment, you know. Right. Uh, back when men used to carry fountain pens in their white shirt pocket, you know. <laughs> 
there would be these little accidents and they were pretty ugly because that was a permanent stain but right well okay so there was one more thing that you wanted to talk about because you said that you'd read a little side yeah. note about a, a peculiar discovery uh go ahead and talk about that that's pretty interesting okay it's pretty interesting it doesn't have a whole lot to do with revelation but i just think it's fascinating and it it's a mention of a, a much lesser known book of the bible um a book with literally a chapter um so i mentioned there was a, there's a pretty beautiful i mean really beautiful intact synagogue that is part of the archaeological remains of the city of sardis and um you can go on, i mean well i can go online and i can post pictures because we have the Facebook group, um, but there's this really and has every been year disturbingly quiet lately. People <laughs> just thought I'd mention that there haven't been a lot of remarks on it lately. Oh, so come well, on! I'll have to I'll have to throw some pictures of this cool synagogue up there. You know, if nothing else, you can just tell Bethany how awesome she is because I I know that's the only reason you're listening. Oh, whatever. <laughs> You know, my kids tell me how awesome I am every day, and they're kids, so I accept it, but I don't need more people telling me that. <laughs> I don't. I'm just a proud dad, but anyway, go on about anyway. your, uh, your synagogue. Anyway, so this synagogue is, um, it's it's an active site, so like the, I think Harvard maybe, um, I forget which school, but one of the Ivy League schools sends a group every year that works on this synagogue and these archaeological remains are open to the public year round so it's it's easy to find pictures um but the cool thing i think it, about there being a synagogue there is like out of the letters that we've read it's the first time that i had read anything that even mentioned a synagogue in a town in one of these turkish cities or mm -hmm. you know future Turkish cities because um, we're assuming they were predominantly pagan and Christian right so so most scholars would say that by the time these churches were in existence Christianity and pagan religions would have been the and really Christianity was becoming predominantly the religion in this part of the world and so there was a lot until this synagogue was found and a couple of other things were found the belief was that there really weren't Jewish worshipers. There weren't Jews practicing in this part of the world. And then they found this synagogue and they're like, oh, wait, maybe not. And the thing that I find really cool about that is that the Bible kind of tells us that that's a thing that's going to happen. And I love when the Bible does that with history and science and all things you're, like that. You're doing this whole auto-tune thing right now. We still understand you, but you sound like, you know, you're doing, do you believe? Anyway. Oh, wow. Weird. <laughs> anyway, go on. So, See, you I had to go and really... put certain ideas in my head, you know, like Will Ferrell. Yeah. And, yeah. I know, I know. So anyway, I just think it's super cool because another name that, this, that the city of Sardis has had attributed to it is Sephard. And Sephard is mentioned one time in the Bible in the book of Obadiah in verse 20 because like i said the book of obadiah is a chapter mm -hmm. um and i have it open it says this company of israel israelites exi exiles who are in canaan will possess in the land as far as the zarephath the exiles from jerusalem who are in Sephard will possess the towns of the negev so in obadiah which is in the old testament folks 
there's already evidence that there are Jews in this town, Sephard, which is probably Sardis. And um, I just, like I said, I think it's I, I, one of my favorite things in the whole world is when history and sciences are like, when when people who maybe aren't knowledgeable in the Bible say and, stuff and they're like, this is really interesting. And then the Bible's like, yeah, I already said that a long time ago. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, as we like to say, the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. But um, right. So for people who don't know, so Sephardic Jews who still exist yes. to this day were essentially Jews who were not of European origin uh, in recent times. Um, yeah. The, the vast majority of Sephardic Jews today originate in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, many have immigrated back to the to Israel since it became a nation. But but Sephardic Jews were basically the only other. So basically, had the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Uh, when the nation split, the Northern Kingdom was divided, and that's what we call the Lost Tribes because they never really reclaimed themselves, kind of reorganized themselves into an entity. And mm-hmm. uh, this is where we get Samaritans. Um, they are claiming. Jewish heritage, but they are of mixed lineages, and that's why the people of the old southern kingdom are resentful towards them. So the southern kingdom people, even though they got sent off to Babylon, still managed to maintain their identity. There's only one other group that managed to maintain its identity during the diaspora, and that was the group called the Sephardics. So you had the southern kingdom Jews who went off to Babylon during the Babylonian uh, diaspora or captivity. And then you had the Sephardics who kind of, you know, stayed organized. And to this day, you could still sort of trace those two main lines back. So anyway, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, this so, is, this is cool. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're auto-tuning, and it's about time to wrap. You just so. said the auto-tune it sounds, yeah, it sounds like the internet's probably getting wonky on me here. I'm going to be so glad in a few weeks when you live here and we can do all of this. <laughs> uh, I just got a warning on my screen saying your internet is unstable. So, so uh, at the risk of, of listening to just a little more auto-tune Bethany, I'm going to ask her to say goodbye to you, remind you to visit the website or to the Facebook group. And I may have lost her. No, I'm oh, here. Sorry. I, all right, I, all right. I thought you were gone because of that. So, so go ahead. Tell everybody those things, and then we'll probably say goodbye for now. Okay, I think you told me to say goodbye and to tell them to go to the Facebook group, right? Right. Okay, just checking because you were doing the buzzy weird so, thing too. So I'm. I'm so goodbye, everybody. Make sure you check out the Facebook page and interact with us because it's how we socialize with you, especially me because I don't get to see you. All right, you heard her. Yeah, and I know because you all love Bethany, so you better do it for her if you don't do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> we, we both love you guys, and we're so honored that you listen to us. It's such a privilege, uh, but it's even more fun when you join the conversation. So thanks a lot. Bethany, I love you, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. See ya. all we have for this week's study. I hope you've been blessed and I hope you will continue to join the conversation as uh, you visit us 
on the web. The best place to chat with us is in the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group. You can find that easily by clicking the link down below this description. And uh, also just uh, know that you can learn anything you want to know about Jasper, uh, Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper by uh, visiting shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And uh, feel free to come see us if you're in the Jasper area. It'd be a great blessing to meet you face to face. And uh, thank you to all those regular listeners. We're honored beyond uh, our ability to say that you find this a blessing and a value to you. So until next time, God bless you and goodbye.